0: So let's start out with two quick things. The first one is, man, you know, my story certainly is crazy to hear. Jonathan Helms, are you in here somewhere? Okay, if he's in Memphis, ask him how crazy it is, right? Like, he knew me before I met Jesus. He knew me before the Lord was at work in my life. So he can give you the, uh, the real story. Second thing I'd like to say as we start out, you know, I am blessed in that I serve a non denominational ministry and I get to speak in churches all over the upstate. And uh, those are all different denominations. But I can say this morning, I am woke up after that worship. That is not typical as you go across Greenville uh, to see a body so connected to the Spirit as we start out the day. So thank you for that. I'll try not to get too excited as I go through uh, what we're going to talk about this morning. So what I thought would be uh, maybe helpful is I'm going to unpack Miracle Hill just a little bit so you guys can kind of understand the breadth of ministry that we do across the upstate. And then we're going to dig deep into a passage of scripture that is kind of foundational to the work that we do. Sound good to everybody? Okay, so who thinks they know everything Miracle Hill does? Anybody, you just got a teaser in that video. So it's a lot of stuff. But what's important to note is for 86 years, we've been doing this work. And it started not because a bunch of pastors or a bunch of churches got together to address a need, but a bunch of Bible-believing Christians. wasn't started by one church. It was started by people like you and I, Who saw a need in their community and gathered together to figure out a way to solve it. So this was on the tail end of the Great Depression. And so the need that they saw was food. And so they started a soup kitchen all the way back in 1937. Within a couple of years, they opened up our first rescue mission in downtown Greenville. And that was kind of Miracle Hill for about 20 years. And then one day a police officer showed up at the front door of the uh, men's rescue mission downtown and had some orphans with him and said, hey, do you guys take orphans? And we didn't. But the lady who was working the front door that evening said, absolutely, bring them on in. And so that started our journey into children's ministry. And within a year, they had 60 Make sure you guys hear that number, 60 children in a single family home a few blocks away from the Downtown Rescue Mission. Today, we are this amazing gospel focused ministry. And if you needed to summarize who Miracle Hill is, we exist to serve people experiencing homelessness and tell them about Jesus. All the other stuff that we do is secondary to to that. Last night, there was about 650 men, women, and children in a Miracle Hill facility somewhere across the upstate. And we start from this position of being compassionate to somebody who doesn't have a friend in the world. That's kind of our motto. If you don't have a friend in the world... You can find one at miracle hill so starting from these humble beginnings of this food ministry today we stretch across the whole upstate we have four emergency shelters where people can come to on any given night two in greenville one in spartanburg for men and women and one in cherokee county for men and women About 25 years ago, we saw this huge growth in the number of guests that were coming in our front doors that were struggling with addiction, and so we started a journey into uh, what the world would say are addiction recovery programs, what we would say are Christ-centered discipleship programs focused on helping people with life-dominating issues. So I tell people all the time, you do not have to believe in Jesus to be at Miracle Hill, you just gonna hear a lot about them while you're there. What you do with it is between you and the Lord. Uh, Some years ago, we also saw a huge need for housing opportunities once somebody has stabilized within our shelters and our programs. So we started our first transitional house. Today, we are building our 18th transitional house. And I think the screen says that we have 111 beds. Go to the next one. There we go. It's actually 120 once we finish that house. Uh, In children's ministry, we have moved all of our efforts into the foster care world. So we have this awesome foster care program where we're partnering with about 150 families. Uh, We also have a foster care community up in Pickens that is designed for these amazing families to live in these giant houses for free, but they agree to take up to five teens or sibling groups into their home for foster care. So for example, we have one couple up there that became empty nesters, got into foster care, fostered four kids, adopted those four kids, moved into the foster care community, and now have four other kids on top of that. So they have eight children that they've brought into their home um, while they are still holding down jobs and trying to live life. They are really being Jesus in the flesh to children in the upstate. Uh, we have a, an amazing food ministry called Miracle Hill from God to You, eight thrift stores. Who shops thrift? Shop thrift. Great bargains there. Uh, and then we have these two awesome social enterprises Bridgeworks and Creation Works. So Bridgeworks is a traditional staffing agency. Um, And you would think that as a, a, you know, kind of a humanitarian organization, a social welfare organization, that we would have great relationships with staffing agencies, but most of our guests have poor work history and bad health and mental health issues and addiction issues, and so nobody wants to employ them. So we built our own staffing agency and we'll mitigate all those concerns on behalf of an employer. So if you own a business, and you wanna employ some of our guests, talk to me after this and we can get you locked in. All that means that last year, we served almost 3,000 individuals. Next slide across the upstate of South Carolina. I could go through all these amazing numbers on here, but the two that I kinda wanna focus on is uh, one that's not on the page, which is our success rate for our addiction recovery programs, which last year was about 40%. Now you might say that sounds terrible. The national average is about 10 to 15% for long-term success coming out of addiction recovery programs. And we're somewhere in the 40% range. Who wants to guess what the difference is between that 15% and that 40%? That's right. Um, Again, you don't have to have a relationship with Christ to be in one of our programs. But for seven months, you're going to hear the saving knowledge of the gospel. And most of our guests make a decision. The most important number that I can point to on that screen is that 160 people that we know for a fact came to know the Lord while they were in a Miracle Hill facility last year. If nothing else happens at Miracle Hill except for that 160, then we've had a good year. Amen? Amen. Amen. Okay. So flip to the next slide. How many of you guys have seen this guy or somebody like this guy as you're driving around the upstate? Every hand should go up, especially if you get off at 385 and Woodruff Road. There is somebody there almost every single time you get off the exit, right? Now, when I talk to groups... I ask this simple question that I think we can all agree on, or most people agree on. Most people don't know what to do. Is that fair? You see that person, you see that sign, and you don't know what to do, so you stare at your steering wheel, or you look out the other window, or, Lord forbid, you pick up your phone and you start scrolling something. You just pretend like it's not there, because you don't know what to do. Now, if you look at the upstate, what percentage of the people that drive by that guy also drive to church on Sunday? It's a lot. And if anybody should be doing something to interact with that gentleman, it's us, right? Prior to the 1930s, who took care of all social services across the world? The church. Then the church took a back back seat, and the federal government jumped in, and you fast forward all these decades later, and we, the Big C Church, are letting somebody who's not responsible take care of the least of these in our society when it clearly is our responsibility, right? There's no mistaking it that the, the word says repeatedly that it's our job. So I want to talk for the rest of the morning about what's going to make the difference for that guy And then, what do we do about it? How does the church come into this equation that God's created for us in our world where we see people who are in need? And then, what is the church calling that guy to? I want to hit a couple of statistics before we jump off. Um, Last year, 3,281 people experienced homelessness in the upstate of South Carolina. 3,281. That probably is not a a super shocking number to you, but this next number will be. 1,148 school-aged children in Greenville County experienced homelessness last year. 1,148 kids that you as a child are going to school with or you as a parent, your kids are going to school with were experiencing homelessness last year. At the same time that I say that, where the state is 2,000 homes short of having all the homes they need for every foster kid in the state, There are way more than 2,000 churches in the state of South Carolina. There's probably 2,000 churches within 20 miles of us. It seems like it's something super easy for us to um, be a change agent in if we'll stop letting the world tell us what to do and start letting the word tell us what to do, right? So, Let's look at a passage of scripture and see if the Lord has given us some instruction as instructions as individuals, how to get past some of these social ills that we see in our lives, homelessness, addiction, brokenness. So we're gonna to turn to John chapter five. This is the story of the healing of the pool on the Sabbath. We see this brokenness in our society every day, but we also see through scripture All these amazing miracles right we see um you know people getting healed in a variety of different ways we see water into wine we see the withered hand and the demoniac and all these different miracles as we walk through scripture and i think oftentimes our our tendency is to think about it as a story rather than something that god wants to do in our lives in our hearts if we will step out on faith John chapter 5 contains this very specific instance of healing. If you want to see it, go to season 2, episode 4 of The Chosen, and you can watch it. Um, I believe that within this miracle that we find in John chapter 5, we st- we find this answer that we look for as a society, but also as individuals that has this answer to addiction and homelessness and brokenness and foster care found within its depths. So let's read a little bit into the passage. It says, after this, there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate, a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed Colonnades. So let me paint a picture for you. This is a very real place. It was unearthed many years ago. If you go over there, you can go tour where the pool used to be. But think about the pool like the modern-day street corner. Okay, people went down to the pool with their cardboard signs, if they had them, and they sat there and they believed that every once in a while, a magical creature would fly through the air invisibly and it would stir up the water. And whoever got down into the water first would be healed. Now, history has taught us that the pool sat on top of the city's aqueduct system which means there was water moving up underneath the pool, which occasionally would make swirls in the water. There was no invisible angelic creature. Basically, the pool was a position of misplaced faith. They were down there at the street corner with their signs, begging for food, begging for money, hoping upon hope that healing would come by an avenue that brought no healing. Today, you can see that in people as they reach out to a bottle or to the fentanyl dealer or to pornography, fill in the blank of the misplaced faith that somebody is putting themselves into. Verse 3 says, in these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. So uh, if you look up kind of the meanings of these words, invalid means to be weak physically or morally sick. Blind means to be um, physically or mentally to the reality of the world, in our case, to the Lord's reality of the world. And lame means deprived of a foot limping or not working as normal. When I look at my own life, which was defined by brokenness and addiction for so many years. I see these three descriptives hard at work in my life. I was blind to the truth certainly of the scripture, but even the the truth of the world around me. I was so lost in my own brokenness that I couldn't see what was real. I was lame. The way that I interacted with the world was not normal. Uh, a couple of examples would be if your phone rings you would just answer it when i when my phone rang it terrified me and i wouldn't look at it now this is before we had caller id Back then, you would you would you would look at it and watch it ring, and I wouldn't answer because I was terrified of who was on the other side of it. That's not normal. That's lame. I can remember when I was uh, deep in my addiction and I had gotten into a season where I was drinking bottles, or I'm sorry, boxes of wine. You guys have all seen those boxes of wine, specifically Franzia Sunset Blush. And I would go to a different Walmart every day to buy my box of wine because I thought the people at Walmart would know me, right? It was not normal. It was lame. I was going all the way around the world to avoid interacting with people that I didn't even know. And when I read the word paralyzed, I think of fear. I think of how our perception of the world can stop us From doing things that we know is right. Certainly outside of a relationship with Jesus, we get paralyzed so easily by what we see in the world. But even in relationship with Jesus, we can get paralyzed with fear and not do what we know the Lord is calling us to do. Now, typically when I get to this point in talking about this passage, everybody is kind of tuned out and they're thinking about the people in Miracle Hill facilities, right? They're thinking about the people who are struggling with chemical addiction or you know 40 years of trauma so I'd like to level the playing field just a little bit and I have in my hand the top 10 addictions in the United States all right now at Miracle Hill we really like to be transparent and honest so as I read these addictions if you fall into that category I expect you to raise your hand in agreement that you're struggling with this particular addiction. Number one on the list, coffee. (laughs) Make no mistake, caffeine is an addictive substance. If you go throughout your morning and you don't have coffee and you get a headache, that is called withdrawal. That is your body reacting to a chemical reaction in your brain. Make no mistake, we as a society spend more money on coffee than any other addiction, right? And most of us in this room are guilty, amen? All right, number two, tobacco, 1.3 billion deaths worldwide annually connected to tobacco use. Alcohol, uh, if alcohol was created today, it would not be legal. It creates all different types of issues, including a strong connection to 60 different diseases and or cancers, and it contributes to more murders than anything else in our society. Alcohol is a huge issue. Um, Now, some of y'all are already saying, I got my freedom in the Lord, right? Well, you hold on to that for a minute. Uh, (laughs) Number four, sexual addiction. Uh, 8% of men are sexually addicted, 3% of women, and it is the number one thing in the United States taking out pastors. Pornography is wrecking havoc in the church. It is in our regular society. Do you know what the difference in the statistics for sexual addiction is between the church and the world? There is no difference. It is a huge addictive problem in our world. Number five, illegal and prescription drugs. Now we're getting into things that you expected on the list. Number six, gambling, 2% of the population. Number seven, and this is for you young kids, this has a late entry as of about six or seven years ago it made its way onto this list. Number seven is video games. It is an escape mechanism that we use to avoid the world around us. And all the kids are avoiding eye contact now. <laughs> Number eight, food. I'll leave that alone. Number nine, work. And number 10, this is the one where I get everybody else in the audience. Raise your hand if the last thing you put down before you go to sleep is your phone. Let's get some honesty out here. Raise your hand if the first thing you pick up when you wake up is your phone. Raise your hand if you justify that because you set your Bibles on your phone. (laughs) This is a huge problem. People are avoiding interacting with human beings. Our young people are learning and growing up not interacting with each other because of these things. This is a huge issue, and it is causing blindness and lameness. It is causing us to not live the way the Lord intended us to live. All right. Now that I've leveled the playing field and we're all in this together, right? It's not just about the people that are sleeping at a Miracle Hill facility. It's about all of us who are warm in a pew this morning. Uh, verse 5 says, one man who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. Think about it like this. He was stuck in a sin for 38 years. Now, I believe that the guests of Miracle Hill have it better than many of you. If they're stuck in a sin, their life is in destruction. They've got no family relationships. They've got no money. They they wind up in jail. The sins that they choose cause great destruction in their life, but the sins that we choose might be socially acceptable. They might be something that don't have any negative effect on our life, but God clearly tells us not to do. They might be something that we could be stuck in for 50 years and not even realize the brokenness in our lives. Um, I think that our guests have it easier in that regard The problem is that many of our guests won't survive if they try to go 38 years. Verse 6, when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? Now, this is where the passage gets really, really interesting. So the guy's there. He's been an invalid for 38 years. He's been sitting at this position of misplaced faith, expecting something to change, and here comes this guy and asks him, do you wanna be healed? Now, the Greek there is not about a Band-Aid fix. It's not the idea of relieving symptoms. It's the idea of I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I right? It's this idea of total life change. Jesus asks him, Do you want your life to be different? The Greek there specifically means sound, healthy, pure, and whole. Do you want to be whole? Do you want to be fixed for this issue to disappear? I believe that Jesus asks all of us the exact same question. Do we want to be healed wholly, completely, not just so that our life is better, but that our life looks like whom? Looks like him. The sick man answered him the same way that we all answered him. Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I'm going, another steps down before me. Basically, Jesus says, do you want your life to be different? And the man answers him with an excuse of why it can't be different. He doesn't even answer the question. We all do this. Jesus asks us, do you want your life to be different? And we say things like, man, I'll start doing that daily devotion on Monday. I like to start things out on a Monday or man, I'll, I'll delete Facebook off my phone next week, and then I'll go on a fast from social media for a period of time. Can I just say that you can't fast from something that's a sin? Right, like that, that's not the way that it works, right? If Jesus tells you to fix your life, it's not our job to make an excuse to him about why we can't do it. But this is what this guy does, and this is what all of our guests do. Um, In my own life, I can specifically remember thinking to myself, I'm going to stop doing the hard drugs and I'm just going to drink on the weekends. Like that was my bargaining. I'm going to stop this destructive behavior and I'm only going to do this slightly less destructive behavior. We do the same thing. We know things that the Lord is calling us to change about our lives or sin patterns that we need to uh, eradicate. And instead, we bargain with Him and we adjust them. He says, get rid of, and we say, I will f- on Tuesdays and Thursdays, right? Man, that's not the equation that I read in my Bible. When, when, when Jesus tells us to do something, when he challenges us to change something about our life, he expects us to do it all the way, not part of the way. So the man is asked if he wants his life to change, and he offers Jesus an excuse why it can't. The magic is in the next verse. Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and he walked So the Gospels record a little under 40 miracles. There's a bunch more miracles that are implied, and they're all different types of things, from somebody grabbing onto his cloak to putting mud in somebody's eyes. But in this particular instance, Jesus offers a command. Get up, take up your bed, and walk. Now, this man has been broken for 38 years the statement that Jesus gives him is probably not one that makes sense to him. In my mind, I picture somebody that I would see in a picture from the Holocaust, right? He's been there for 38 years. All of his muscles have withered away. There is nothing in his brain or in the world that would tell him that he has the ability to get up and to walk. His whole world tells him it's impossible. So put on your theologian's hat for a minute. If everything about his life said that he couldn't do what Jesus was telling him to do, and his whole life was caught up in this perceived truth about the world, his body even was caught up in the truth about the world, did he have to do what Jesus told him to do? Well, look at our lives. Jesus tells us to do things all the time that we don't do. Even in Scripture, people tell, Jesus tells people to do things and they don't do it. So this guy's brain probably said to him, I can't get up, I can't pick my mat up, and I can't walk away. Now, people misquote scripture all the time that Jesus says, or that that the Bible says that God helps those who help themselves. Scripture never says that. But it's almost implied here. Jesus says to the man, I will give you all the strength, all the energy, I'll give you everything that you need to get up and pick up your mat but you have to get up, and you have to pick up your mat. This is where our guests get stuck. They want a Savior, but most of them and many of us don't want a Lord. Right? We want somebody who will save us from whatever brokenness that we have, but we want it to be easy. Chad and I were talking in the back room. We, we both have a mild obsession with watching people do extraordinary feats, okay? Now Chad is ridiculously dunking himself in a cold bath these days for some reason. Um, But there's something in that. There's something in the heart of doing something that seems impossible, right? We were talking about this guy named Alex Honnold who climbed the the face of Yosemite without a rope, which is maybe kind of plum dumb rather than some dumb, Um, but he did it nonetheless, right? It was there and he accomplished it. The key is he believed he could do it, The key is that he believed he could do something. In this scenario, Jesus says, I will change your life if you will get up and do the work. The question that this man has and that all of us have and that the 600 people who are sleeping in a Miracle Hill facility tonight have is, do we believe him? Do we believe that our life really will be different if we do this hard thing that he puts in front of us? And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and he walked. Now there's significance in the mat too. Number one, um, it was the Sabbath, so it was illegal for him to move his mat. There's a whole nother sermon in there that we're going to leave alone. But why would Jesus not just tell him to get up and walk away? Why get up, pick up your mat, and walk away? I think the answer is about where he's placing his identity. As long as his mat is sitting there beside the pool, his identity is in brokenness. His identity is in this spot in his life where he can't and he has to depend on someone else too. But he picks up his mat and he walks his way walks away he picks up his identity and he puts it somewhere different. He changes where he lays his head down. At night. If we skip forward in the passage to verse 14, it says, Afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well, sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. Now, there's nothing in the passage that would lead us to believe that the man was an invalid because of sin. He was broken for whatever reason that uh, the Lord allowed in his life. But Jesus tells to him, sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you, meaning don't forget what has happened in your life. You know, maybe the, um, the saddest part about the reality of Miracle Hill is we see a lot more failures than we do successes. You know, we see um, every month, we see people pass away. We see people choose the broken things in their life rather than Jesus. Um, And we see them, those that had once been healed, those that had once gotten up and picked up their mat and walked away, we see them come back and put their mat back down by the pool. I think we do the same thing. Maybe our sins aren't as destructive, but we can all be guaranteed that something worse is around the corner. Uh, When I came into the rescue mission in 2003, I was uh, lost as a ball in high weeds. Um, Not only did I not know Jesus, I really didn't like God. I didn't have any family members that talked to me. Um, I had a horrible addiction issue. And uh, eventually, I met Jesus about four months later in a rescue mission chapel. But before I met Jesus, I met a guy named Barry. Now, Barry was a, a homeless fella uh, that had been in and out of the mission for 20 years. Barry didn't really know how to live like normal people. He would come into the mission, he would get stable, so to speak. He would be really successful, he'd get a job, and eventually he'd move out into an apartment of some sort. And about a year later, Barry would show back up, beaten down and broken, and not having a friend in the world. When I got there, I didn't have a friend in the world. And this strange homeless fella became my boss on the house crew. My job was to vacuum up the rooms and to, um, clean the windows. And this old ornery fella became my friend. And he loved me when I didn't love myself. And he cared for me. And he wept with me. Who was Barry to me? Barry was Jesus to me. Barry met me in my brokenness, and he loved me when I didn't love myself. And I'd love to give you a happy ending to the story. But all the years since, I saw Barry come in and out of the mission over and over and over again. Uh, about six years ago, Barry was on staff with Miracle Hill working in our thrift stores, and um, his life looked better, and he moved back out and he moved back into an apartment, and a few months later, he took his own life. He was alone in an apartment without a friend in the world. I don't think Jesus ever really understood, I'm sorry, what Barry ever really understood what Jesus was asking of him. And Barry was not willing to pick up his mat and change his identity. He would walk away from the pool but he would never walk into the hands of the church. He would walk away from the pool, but he wouldn't walk into healthy relationships. And as a result, ultimately, his identity always wound up back at the pool. Now I believe, I know that Barry heard the good news of the gospel, and I know that Barry prayed. I don't know what Barry's relationship was with the Lord when he left this planet, I don't know that he ever had a life-changing commitment to Jesus, but I know that Barry didn't think he was worth anything. You know, the guy on that sign um, that we'll see here again in a minute, he doesn't think he's worth anything either. He thinks the best that he has to offer is found when somebody hands him a dollar out of a car window. So how do we apply this? The first thing I want you to know is that God cares about the individual. He came for the one, not for the 99, right? So who's made in the image of God? All of us. Who does God value? All of us, even Barry, even that guy with the sign. Never lose sight that that guy with the sign is loved by God just as much as you are. Right? He has just as much value. Number two, Christ is the giver of power to the powerless who trust him. The key to that is the powerless, the recognition that we can't change it on our own power and we need a savior and a Lord who can. If that guy would have told Jesus, I'm good, Jesus would have kept walking because that's what he did throughout his ministry. Uh, Third thing, do what God says, even if it doesn't make sense. If we try to fix things on our own steam, we will forever be that lost sheep. Um, I recently heard someone talking about the uh, wedding at Cana, and I cannot remember who told me this, but it was amazing, whatever they told me. They said the, uh, it, it may have been a conversation with Chad, as a matter of fact. I don't remember. The most important statement in all the Bible was echoed by Jesus' mother at the wedding of Cana when she said to the servants, Do whatever he says, right? That's what we all need to do is do whatever he tells us to do. And then lastly, uh, trusting him with the little things makes it easier for us to trust him with a lot of things. Man, when Jesus tells us to pick up our mats and walk away, asking us to do the impossible, that is where we get into trouble because we have not seen God faithful in the little things. Do you know what the key is to having God answer prayers in our life? Praying. If we don't pray, then he can't answer the prayer. So we pray about everything. And as we see God faithful with the little things, we'll see him move in the big things. So how do we help the guy with the sign. I think the first thing that we do is we get educated on the issues. Like me coming up here and speaking, that's a a great first step. And there's all different types of resources that you can learn about the people who are struggling with some of these huge societal level ills that we have in our world. You can give. So what do you do with that guy? Do you give him money out the window? No. Hear me say this. Do not give money, Okay. What I would ask you to do is, if it is safe, give relationship. Give yourself, right? That's what Jesus did. So I'm this guy's worst nightmare, so much so that my wife refuses to go on dates with me in downtown Greenville because I spend the whole night interacting with the people that are on the streets. Uh, So what do I do? I go up and I make eye contact with that human being, and I introduce myself. Hey, I'm Ryan. Nice to meet you. And then I say this, your sign says that you want food. Let's walk over here to the Wendy's. I'll buy you some food, and we can sit down and chat. I only do that if I have enough time to commit to that right? It's not about giving stuff. It's about giving the same thing Jesus gave, which, is, which was his time. Then we build a relationship and you point that person back to Miracle Hill. That is the answer. So it's not always safe for you to do that. It's not always the best idea. So if you can't do that, I would tell you to do nothing but pray for that person. But if you can do that, get inconvenienced, pull over on the side of the road and walk up there and introduce yourself to that person. Now, nine times out of 10, that person tells me they don't like Wendy's or they don't like Chick-fil-A or whatever it is right beside it. And I offer to pray with them and talk with them. But that 10th time when that person says, yeah, I'd love to get something to eat, I get to have this amazing interaction with another human being that God loves as much as he loves me and try to point them towards a place that they can get away from that pool, that they can get away from that misplaced faith in their life. We give of our time and our talents and our treasures, but we do so in the wisest possible way. Build a relationship and then lastly, advocate Jesus himself fought against the rules of religion and the Pharisees. We fight against the things that hurt the people that God loves as much as he loves us. So in closing, there's 600 and something people at Miracle Hill tonight. Most of them are stuck in some type of place just like this pool. There's thousands of people walking into church this morning equally stuck at these places of misplaced faith. So as we go out of here today, what do we do different? Now, as I say that, there's some of y'all that know right this second something that the Lord is telling you to eradicate from your life or change. What are you gonna do about it? Are you gonna keep sitting by the pool? Or are you gonna get up, pick up your mat, and walk away? Let me pray for us. Lord, we love you. Father, I am grateful that your word is simple. It doesn't mean that it's easy, but it is simple. Lord, at the end of the day, we just need to do whatever you tell us to do. And we will wake up and we won't be by those pools. We won't be surrounded by places of brokenness. Father, I also know that there are thousands of people in the upstate today who need you and who need to walk away from those broken places in their life. On top of that, there are thousands of children that are experiencing brokenness at no fault of their own, and they need the church. They need people to step into their brokenness with them, into the messiness of relationship, and offer that hand up rather than a handout. Father, I pray that you would deal with each one of us in our hearts and in our minds and teach us what you want us to do different in our lives. We love you and we trust us. Trust you. Help us to be like uh, Jesus today more than we were yesterday. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Stay right here for a second. Can we honor Ryan this morning? Michael, you can come on up. Let's do a little interview style real quick with you. So Zaina and I met with, is it Chalicia? Ch- Chelsea. Chelsea. Almost got me messed up. Yeah. Uh, Zaina and I met with Chelsea, who works for you, and she's basically a liaison but liaison between your ministry and churches, right? Correct. And I asked her a question. I said, "Who is? who would you say is the best or one of the best, easiest churches to work with in Greenville? And she said First Press. And I said, tell me why. And she said, because they have a leadership team. That's the first thing they did was create a leadership team. Because the last thing we wanna do is just get stirred up and just sprint into something. Let's go really slow and develop a nice plan and just stick to that plan. So coming off a a presentation like this, you have a lot of hungry people in this house that love the Lord Jesus. So I wanna let you guys know what we're doing is creating a leadership team. And what we're gonna do is start slowly having conversations with Ryan and his team. What does it look like for this house to get involved with the many different... I mean, gosh, you guys do so much. And so, because a lot of you are asking, all right, what are we going to do? How are we going to get involved? There is a plan. We want it to be very boring. We want to stick to it. And we it'd be very predictable. And we want it to not run through a personality, but to run through a team. What would you say you're looking for from a house? What blesses you guys? What how can we how can we honor you
0: yeah so uh, i think what i would say differently than chelsea is what what sets first prez out is consistent commitment right so they don't just pop in and pop out once a year they are consistent with how they interact with us now truth be told uh, first prez historically has been much more consistent like financially, as a financial contributor. It's only been in years past, maybe the past five years, that they've really kind of stepped into the the volunteer world. Let me tell you what they do, okay? Because it goes perfect with the sermon. Uh, They come into the rescue mission, and they play pickleball with the guys every single week. Okay, they're not teaching them anything. They're not cooking them meals. They are building relationship with men And then they're helping to uh, walk them out into the world as mentors and partners, and they do it consistently. The men see the same men building relationship with them every single week and teaching them through pickleball all things. I had never even heard of pickleball for like four years ago, and now we have pickleball courts. Who knew? Uh, But they are consistent. So what we like to see is churches that um, are consistent and can I get preaching on it for a second? Brother, have at it. And ask us what we need rather than telling us what we need, yeah. which happens all the time. Amen, Zaina. Right? It happens all the time where a church comes in and says, We're gonna bless you and we're gonna bring you 600 peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. And we say thank you and we eat the peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, but it works a lot better when a church says, Hey, what do, we, what, do, what do you need? And I would say, we need churches yep. that will step up for foster care. We need 10 families out of this church to say, hey, I'm willing to learn about it. We need men and women to step up and be mentors with our program graduates, to walk with them for six to 12 months after they leave our, uh, our programs. We need people that will consistently come in and teach classes or, or build relationship in other ways.
1: Awesome. I'll close with this. It seems a little silly, but I did it this morning in pre-service. Take your fingers and make a triangle. At the top is the word up. Ryan mentioned this morning the, the corporate intimacy in worship. We want to be strong in that, in the secret place and also corporately in our intimacy with the Father. We also, on the bottom right of the triangle, we want a strong community of connection here that happens organically, not through a bunch of programs. But the bottom left, out, up and out. What the Father is doing is developing a culture of out here. But we're going to go slow, and we're going to do this right. And you're not going to find anyone in this house that comes telling you what you should do. That is, that's not going to happen here. So here, here's next steps. Let's say you just... I just discern by the Holy Spirit that some of you are just really wrestling with the idea of being foster care parents. Here's what I want you to do. Brittany Banks is, is my assistant here. I've already developed a team that we're going to begin to meet. If you have questions or want to go to the next step with me on, hey, hey how can I get plugged in? I'm, I'm working on the plan. We're not that far off. Just email BB, and I'll get in touch with you. Um, e- email her. Share your heart of what's going on and what we're going to do. In the next couple of months, we're going to be ready to roll out some baby steps into... I've never played pickleball. I eat a lot of pickles, especially... <laughs> These fish tacos, they got a lot of pickles. I love them. I'll go play pickleball. But let's do this right and slow and not fast and fizzle out. We, we want, I care more about us seven years down the road than right now. Michael, we do have an immediate need right now.
2: Yes, we do. If uh, you notice, we have Miracle Hill bins out in the lobbies and down in the hall, uh, hallways of the church. We are collecting non-perishable foods for Miracle Hill. So please bring those in and you can drop those off in the bins. We would really appreciate it.
1: Awesome. Let's stand up together. I'll speak a blessing.
2: Chad, I have one more thing before you 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 speak a blessing. And I'm so glad you're here, Ryan. One quick announcement. I wanted to wait to the end because this is just gonna be really good. Church family, I had the opportunity this week to sit in on Chad's dissertation defense for Regent University. Little did I know I would be on the panel. And it was a pretty rigorous process. Many of you know, if you don't, Chad has been almost, what, six years? Working seven years. Thank you, BB. She knows. Working on his doctorate at Regent University, one who has went through the same program and graduated last year. It's an incredible amount of work and dedication. But when I sat on that chair, the professor told me, not only did she pass Chad's dissertation, but on a private conversation, she said, this dissertation is Excellent. And it's all what God's been doing here at the garden. So I just want to celebrate right here. Take this moment and let's just honor, go crazy for Dr. Chad Norris.
1: You know, hearing Ryan speak this morning about picking your mat up, uh, I had to get tutored to make it through high school. If not for Amy Vygotsky, I'd have never passed. The math class, I don't even know what it was, trigonometry, I have no idea what it was. Went to junior college, almost flunked out. Uh, Went to University of Georgia, got put on academic probation. Uh, Got rejected from seminary, which in the annals of heaven, I'd like to know who else has gotten rejected from seminary. (laughs) It's a true story. And that was hard, almost quit doctorate seven times. Don't ever blame anyone for what you don't have. Do not become a victim Do you just look in the mirror and have a a Balboa moment and just say, you know what? My life's too short to blame anyone else. If I can get a doctorate, yeah, both these guys met Jesus in a rehab, God can do anything. Amen? Hey, let me say one more thing that's burning on me. If you've not seen The Sound of Freedom, I want you to go watch it. And what I lack in competency, I got a lot of grit in me. It's the way God made me. I'm watching the movie. I get halfway through. I said, Father, I'm not going to be someone that just watches this movie. What can we do at the garden? The problem is in Greenville, guys. We're asleep. We're blind to it. And the Holy Spirit said, Chad, I brought you Zena for a reason. And I was like, oh, yeah. I did not even thought of that. Zena, how long were you CEO of Switch Ministries? Seven years. Now, a lot of people don't know this, but Zena was the CEO of a ministry that went after this problem. So on the triangle, up, in, and out, on the out piece, I may not be smart, I may not be pretty, I may not be as skinny as Ryan, but I have a lot of grit in me, we're going to do something about this issue. We're going to go slow, we're not going to be fast and all stirred up. A lot of passion is overrated, a plan is underrated. God is moving on the out piece in this house. In the name of Jesus, I bless this house to be strong and up, in, and out and make no excuses of why we don't look like Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.